Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Searching fear of death on Google returns about 165 million results. It's the only part of life that we know with certainty. We will all die. And if you believe the Google results, we find it 10 times scarier than rejection and twice as scary as failure. How does it rate for you? Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us this message entitled, The Fear of Death, which is the third part of Facing Your Fears. Thank you for joining us today. We're in a series, and the series is entitled, Facing Your Fears. We've dealt with the fear of rejection. Then we dealt with the fear last week of failure. This week we deal with the fear of death. Important subject matter. I think of the three, this is the least of interest, the least concern. Isn't that interesting? I don't think we feel, outside of a diagnosis of cancer or something extreme, I don't think we feel the fear of death. Uh, most of us think it's, it's just not the now. Rejection, oh yeah. Failure, every day we feel it. But we don't feel the fear of death, unless we're in that unique stage of finding bad news, as we would often call it. It's interesting, a New York professor of gerontology has said that it's not until midlife before people even become aware of their mortality. So when we think of our young people, not on their minds, not a big issue. Sigmund Freud, referring to all folks, he says, I don't think we really conceive of our ending. That is outside a diagnosis of cancer or whatever. He goes on to say, in fact, we live in a perpetual state of denial. I found it interesting the last two weeks. Maybe there's no connection. There may be other things going on. I noticed how packed we were last two weeks. I look out and I see a lot of empty seats this week. I don't think there's a felt need the same. Death? Long way away. I know it's coming, but I don't fear it. Well, I am convinced that unless we are taught well, unless we are trained as to understanding this thing called death and the afterlife, I have a feeling that we're going to find that moment coming and there's going to be fear gripping us and then it's a point too late. I want to get us started early. I want to get us going through a process. I want you to hear that word. It's not a thought, a decision. A, no, it is a process of preparation for death. R.C. Sproul, noted theologian, writes in his book, Surprised by Suffering, of the horrible dying years of his father. As a teen, he tells the story how his dad was dying. He'd had a... Uh, Three strokes. He'd been left in a condition of paralysis of much of his body. He couldn't do anything, much of anything. He just sat on a couch all day. As R.C. Sproul writes, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, dying. Never complained. A man who loved the Lord. He had a little magnifying glass. And through his one good eye, he'd read the Bible. Here's R.C. trying to comprehend, what is this thing called death? Just a young teenager. He said there was one ritual 
Happened every night. There was one time his dad would leave the couch. It's when R.C. would go to the couch and would stoop down backwards facing away from him and his father would drape his arms around his neck. And then fireman style, he would drag his lifeless father without use of legs, would, dra would drag him to the place where he'd put him on a chair and he'd sit there during their dinner. But he tells a story that he would no longer take him to the table. He was on the sofa and speaking to his son, R.C., R.C. had no idea that these would be his very last words. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have, I have truly kept the faith. Barring the words of the Apostle Paul. With that, R.C. tells that he said one of the most cowardly things that could come out of his mouth. He said, Dad, don't say that. Rebuking his father for such a thought. Those were his last words. He goes on to write, There are many things that I have said in my life that I desperately wish I had not said. None of my words are more shameful to me now than those. But words can no more be recalled than a speeding arrow after the bowstring has snapped full release. My words were rebuked to him. I refused to allow him the dignity of a final testimony to me. He knew he was dying. I refused to accept what he had already accepted with grace. I was 17. I knew nothing of the business of dying. He goes on to write how he continued to have nightmares just for multiple years. Not a believer as a 17-year-old. And in fact, it was years later he came to faith. But, but he said for years he had nightmares of seeing his father dying once again. Dying, dying. He closes what I'd like to share with this statement. He said, I would wake up sweating with a sick feeling, empty feeling in the pit of my stomach. Only as I studied the scriptures, and hear this, only as I studied the scriptures did I discover that death is not like that. Only when I discovered the content of the Christian faith did the nightmares finally cease. And that would be the goal I would have, that for many of us, we would never experience the nightmare of death. But rather we could anticipate it as a dream, a good dream. That one day, Lord's coming for me, I'm going to be ready. So in the few minutes we have, that's what I'm going to seek to do. Let me tell you, it is a good thing to think about death. I know we like to resist it. I can remember having a conversation with somebody and I said something about, you know, you're going to die. And he said, don't you even talk about death. I don't even want to hear any word about it. I don't want to think about dying. Well, that's some people's attitude. Steve Jobs, not even one that professed faith in Christ, as he was battling cancer, many of you know his story with Apple, and this is what he says about the beauty of thinking about your dying. He says, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. I take, I take a walk. I've shared with many of you on many occasions about my times that I, I take walks on good weather days. I'll get out near my home in some wooded area and I walk and think and pray and People have asked me from time to time, well, now, what exactly do you do on that prayer time when you're walking? And one of the things that I mention virtually always, 
as I say, well, I like to spend a little bit of my walk just thinking about dying. Do you know what I hear as a response? How morbid. Why would you ever think about dying? I say, oh, no, no, it's a, it's a great exercise. I sit there and I kind of contemplate, okay, how much time's left? You know, if probable, you know, with family and so forth, I probably have maybe this many years, maybe less, but certainly probably not many more. Probably don't want to live longer than that anyway. Do the math, take it from what I have. About, okay, I don't have long left. That's what I come up with. And oh, how it causes me to think. And then I want to say, okay, what's it going to be like? What is it going to be like the moment I die? And I try to think on the truth there. And it does something that I am praying when I get that news, cancer, whatever, that I'll be able to say, wow, much loss in love relationships. I'd love to be with people and there'll be all that. But, but I hope there'll be more joy than there'll be fear. There'll be more anticipation, that dream of anticipation, then there'll be the nightmare of fear. Bet many of us would agree. We know we're going to die. Let's get ready for it. I'm going to suggest that people are, are needing two things. They need, if they're going to face fear, they've got to face it, but they've got to know the truth about the hereafter. Number two, they've got to face it with the relationship with Christ. So I'm going to walk through these two. The first I'm going to use virtually all the time. The last one to two minutes, I'll hit the second. But I want us to learn a little bit about the truth of what happens when we die. So as your outline reads, we will fear death if we face it unknown. We face it unknown, not really knowing the truth. You know, the truth of it is, is ignorance is a breeding ground for fear. Now, think about it. How many of you adults last night had a hard time sleeping because there were monsters under your bed? The truth is, there were probably at least a dozen here that did. But, well, we, we, we know about monsters, but we know the truth about monsters. Now, little children, they know about monsters, but they don't know the truth about monsters. Therefore, they have fear unwarranted. Well, the same is true of Christians. It's amazing how many, how many have wrong beliefs. Christians, real Christians, just have the wrong beliefs about dying and the afterlife. And therefore, breeding ground of fear. There are Christians that commit suicide. I can't even say that. It happens each service. It's happened this weekend. Whenever I mention suicide, people come up, you mean a, a Christian can commit suicide and still go to heaven? I say, Absolutely. Absolutely. Doesn't mean it's not sinful. But we have to understand the merit of Christ and his work on our behalf, the righteousness he's given to us. Yes, we sin. There'll be sin in each of our hearts the very minute every one of us die. But unfortunately, there are Christians that have wrong assumptions about the hereafter and therefore choose suicide to say, I'm going to commit suicide because, man, it's going to make everything better, blah, 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 blah. But they don't know the truth. The truth is, oh, yes, they go to heaven. But will they regret the decision they made? Absolutely. I've had several people come up after the last services. And they've said, well, I don't get this. Explain, you know, you commit suicide, but you've got to be better off. Why would you regret it? I said, do you think any of us could 
Forget the sin of suicide. Put any other sin in there. Do you think any of us would look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I wish I'd not sinned except for this one. Now that one, I'm glad I did. I think every single sin we've ever thought about, we're going to say to our master, oh God, I wish I had never done it. So, so wrong if they think, oh, I'll be glad I did it. No. And then those without Christ, they don't understand. They say, oh, you know, life's so painful, and it is for so many. And I'll be far better off just dying. They don't know the truth about the afterlife. So I'd like to, to walk through just a, a brief handful of truths about death and the afterlife. Number one, death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. Don't need to say it. Who here believes you won't die? None of us. But we tend to think as if we won't. We act as if we won't. We push it out of our minds. Hebrews 9, 27 makes it very, very clear. It says, and as much as is appointed to men to die. And after this, the judgment. And so, yes, we're going to die. But something makes us kind of live and think as if we won't. You've heard the story. I've always heard the George Bernard Shaw statement says statistics are impressive. One out of one people die. Well, of course, we're all going to die. So push that aside. That's too elementary. Let's move to number two. Death is not the end of life, but a transition to a different life. Hopefully we know that already. There is no writing. There is no writing outside the truth of God. There's no writing that can compare to the detail, the description, the understanding of the afterlife than that of the scriptures. Immediately after death, four things happen. So I want to insert here four things just so we know. Many of you already know this, but let's review. Make sure we know the truth. What happens after death? Number one. At the moment of death, there is an immediate awakening of the consciousness of one's soul. So immediately, we're either in the presence of God or we are separated totally from God. Now, we hear that. We say, okay, are you sure? What about intermediate place? Maybe you go here until. No, 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 no. Paul made it very clear when he was teaching the people of Corinth in the eighth chapter of his second epistle. He made it clear. And he said, to be absent from the body as a Christian is to be with the Lord. Done deal. It happens immediately. There is an awakening, a conscious awakening of the soul. We will have reality of thinking. We'll know. We'll understand. We'll see. We'll enjoy. And so forth, if a Christian. Number two, there is an initial consignment of the soul. At that very moment, there will be either joy or there will be horror. Right now, all of us experience common grace. I don't care if you're a Christian or you're not. I don't ever expect when it rains to, to rain on my yard and the other Christians in the neighborhood and those that are not Christians, they don't get the rain. No, we say it's common grace that God give the rains. But now, at death, there's either going to be absolute grace fullness of measure in ways we can't even imagine or there will be absolute total absence of grace. Now, people hear that and they say, okay, you know, I'd love to have grace, but if I don't, I don't. And okay, can it be that bad? Well, we have a lot in Scripture about hell. If you read it carefully, it should grab attention. 
But I remember one that many years ago, I was at a gathering with some pastors and a pastor that I highly respected and trusted his belief and judgment shared with me an audio of another man who was telling his story. And my friend said, this man is legitimate. He is not a wacko. He's not a crazy. But I'm telling you, you got to listen to this. Okay? It was a story of a man who was a non-Christian and he died. He was pronounced dead. And I don't forget how long, 20, 25 minutes or whatever. He resuscitated in some form or fashion. He comes back and they presumed him dead. Was he dead? I don't know. I don't really care. But what he did is he told the story. He became a Christian soon after this. He told the story of what it was like to be in hell for this short period of time. And I'll say this. If only a tenth of what he said was a description of what he saw and experienced, then I was saying, oh, God, I should spend the rest of my life spending much time every day just thanking you for one thing alone that I will never taste of hell. It was the most horrid thing I could ever imagine. I mean, horrible. And I think that's just a human description of a reality that I don't know if it was a vision. I don't know if it was, I don't know. It was total in alignment with scripture. And he knew nothing of the Bible when he shared it. I remember I had a, had a uh, child in that was not embracing the Lord well, was not thinking, you know, truthfully about life and, and so forth. And I said, hey, well, you need to listen to this. And, uh, and we listened to it. And if I remember his words correctly, he put it very clearly. He said it scared the hell out of him. <laughs> Literally. I think he looks back at that and says that was an important moment for me to think reality about death. There's value in thinking about death. But folks, when we do, let's keep in mind, there is, there's a consignment of the soul. And that's reality. To know that and to know that we go to heaven, it's as glorious as that description is heinous. Man, we ought to be saying thank you, God, as Christians. The next truth about what happens is that there is a future resurrection of the body. We have this in 1 Thessalonians 4 described very, very clearly. Verse 13 begins, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, meaning have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And there's the difference, folks. We grieve when we have loved ones die, but not without hope for a loved one who's a Christian. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, okay, those of us that are Christians... We won't be first. If we're living on earth, we won't be the first. There's going to be those who have died in Christ. Christians, but they're dead. Their bodies first will rise, and then we'll be gathered with the Lord to be with him forever. So now we're going to have a physical body that's assigned to the soul, whether in heaven or in hell. 
It becomes a physical thing now. It becomes a physical thing. Should be comforting to understand that. People always ask me, what about cremation? Is it acceptable? Is it okay? Is it right? Nothing in Scripture forbids cremation. My brother was cremated. I have no anxiety over that at all. I do know that there is a historical precedence in Scripture of burial. doesn't mean that it's the only and the, the way that should be followed. I always counsel, and this is just counsel of a Christian, that I think the big issue is not the one that dies, what they prefer, but really the ones that remain. Because some would say, you know what? It's not an issue to me. It doesn't matter. Others would say, I find great, great comfort. There's something medicinal about going to the grave site and knowing that their body is there, though it may be in ashes. It may be in dust, I should say. Because over time, what's going to happen? It's going to go to dust. People say, but what about the resurrection? And you, well, it's not that the body stays whole there. No, it's going to be a new body. It'll be the old body made new. And he creates that anew. So having understood that, please don't think that one's right, one's wrong. I don't think so. And then the fourth thing that happens, there is a final judgment and consignment of the body with the soul, as we mentioned. Having shared that, that's the time that rewards are given. That's the time that Revelation 14 says we cast our crowns before him. The rewards for growing up spiritually, not remaining a baby, sharing our faith, trying to be an ambassador. And we'll take all those crowns and we'll say, God, they're yours because I have nothing good outside what your grace provided. Therefore, I give it back to you. What an honor to collect the crowns, to cast them at his feet. Now, that's the basic history and story there of what's to happen. Let's go back to the main outline and number three of these five truths. As a believer, death should be viewed as an ideal. It should be the ideal. Now, how many of us, though, think in this way? Man, life is so good. I am so pleased with how things are going. I just wish I could die right now. There may be a few. I'll tell you this, though it wasn't with good things happening, but the Apostle Paul certainly reached that place. In Philippians, he makes it real clear. He said, man, I'm, here's how I see life. For me to, to live as Christ, to die, gain, all the better. In fact, I'm hard-pressed which to choose. On the one hand, I want to I wanna just die now. And he knew he could go back into, let's say, Jerusalem. And he could one more time go in. This time, he wouldn't be left standing. He would die being stoned. He knew that. It was in his control in the sense that he could choose to do one or the other. But he says, but on account of you, though I'd much rather do that, on account of you that I'm ministering to and need me right now, I've chosen to mark my ways, to be careful and so forth so that I might minister to you. But he, everything in him was saying, please, I want to go. I remember one of my children I graduated from high school and went off to college and the first Christmas went to a Christmas conference with a Christian organization and they had a, uh, they had a, an icebreaker to start and, and my child was telling me the story uh, after Christmas break said we had this, we had this um, you know, time to ask questions. One of the questions they posed to everybody to share was if you could be anywhere in the world right now you want to be any place on this earth, where would you choose to be? 
So I asked this child, I said, well, what did you choose? And the child said, well, I told him I'd like to be on my deathbed just minutes away, not in pain, but minutes away from dying. Now, my first thought is my kid's suicidal, you know, or we got problems here that I don't know about. But the child continued and said it like this, said, well, Dad, I mean, isn't that what we believe as Christians, that the greatest place in the world, the ideal of ideals, is to be in heaven? And so if we have to be on this earth, wouldn't you want to be as close to that as possible? And, of course, my response was to say, of course, that's the way I think all the time. Absolutely. Hmm. And I leave going, Lord, why don't I think more like that? Here's the way I put it. Because let's be real. None of us, I don't think the greats of God, were going, oh, 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 I can't wait. Let me just die right now. In fact, there's, there's teaching in the Proverbs and in the Psalms that both talk about the blessing of long life. So let's be realist here. Sure. I, I put it this way. It's like a, a golfer will appreciate this more than the rest, perhaps, but I think you'll all understand it. It'd be like a golfer who's just an average golfer and goes out and happens to, very hungry when they go out, know that there's a great meal coming, but choose to play golf. And they start out with birdie, birdie, par, birdie. They've never done that in their life. Now, they're told there's a meal waiting. You can stop right now, and you go ahead and get the meal. And they go, oh, no, sir. I'm going to finish out this round. It's going well. Next person comes along, an average golfer, pretty good golfer, but it's double bogey, double bogey, bogey, triple bogey. They're hungry, and they know there's a great meal. And they say, let's forget the golf. Let's go on and get the meal. And some of us right now are living lives with great relationships and good health and enjoying day-to-day -day and nothing wrong with that. We got birdie, birdie, par birdie. But the day may come where it's triple bogey, triple bogey, triple bogey. And that could all change quickly. Those that are going through tough persecution, trouble, trial, issues, pain, hardship, they just say, oh, let me go ahead. There's a good meal coming. Here's the warning. Be careful. When you find yourself saying, you know what, if I had to have either the meal or the great game, I'll take the great game. That person, when they find they die, has great fear, in my opinion. So we want to get prepared for it. The Apostle Paul did. Many of us here are prepared. I know that. There's one story I want you to hear. It's a story of our own Wade Williams, director of our worship and arts, first staff on the staff of this church. And he got the pronouncement about eight months ago that had brain cancer. Glioblastoma, if you know anything about that, it's as bad as it gets. There's no worse type of brain tumor. And so he knows he's facing a tough road, and his wife as well. But he shares his story with us just briefly here. If you will, give your attention to the screens and see what he has to say. I'm Wade Williams. I'm the Director of Worship and the Arts here at Perimeter Church. For uh, the last eight months, my wife and I have uh, been through the adventure of, of going through uh, brain cancer. And uh, we're, we're glad to say that uh, we have survived and 
Uh, God has been very gracious to us and very kind to us, uh, particularly through the kindness of many of, of you, our friends at Perimeter, uh, people who have loved us and cared for us during uh, a, uh, a very trying time. But uh, our prognosis is good from the doctors. We go back in a couple of weeks to see them again. My wife has held me up uh, in ways that are uh, unbelievable and uh, gracious. It has brought me closer to my wife uh, in a way that is uh, difficult to articulate. My testimony as a believer in Christ is that Christ has given me freedom from the fear of death. He is helping me live as God's word teaches us, that we don't have to fear even the ultimate foe of all, the fear of death. Of course, that doesn't mean that the, uh, the outcomes that I always want are, are, uh, are what I get. There are hard times in the Christian life and this has been one of them. God is teaching me that His Word guides us through insecurity, pain, fear, and death. And through faith in Christ, these things can be met with strength and even victory. He's teaching me that as a believer in Jesus Christ, I do not have to live in the fear of death. It's like a shadow called in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. It is a mere shadow. Though there are enemies in this valley, they're not the ones you think. They try to discourage you, to make you lie down in unbelief, to focus on yourself and your own death so much that you cheat yourself of life. The initial shock of the diagnosis, you have a, I have a what, a brain tumor? But after the initial shock of that diagnosis, I honestly was able to say, I've had a blessed life. I know Jesus Christ. I know it doesn't end here. And there's some good things about what's ahead. And that's been my focus. I want you to remember what he said, and we'll come back to it in just a couple minutes. That's been my focus. That's going to be a key to what we learn. I want to take you back where we are, though. A couple other quick thoughts about the afterlife. To die young is not to die prematurely. Please don't anyone think, if I die at a certain age, it's... It's premature. No, because God has said, Psalm 139, 16, the eyes, your eyes have seen my unseen, my unformed substance. In your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. It's not that, well, this happened and therefore we didn't, if only this hadn't happened. No. God has his plan. We believe in a sovereign God. But some people believe with a little asterisk by it. You heard the story of the Landowner, dad, now he'd taken over his dad who passed away his land and he ruled all this property and so forth and he had all the hands and he had one of the old men that worked with his dad all those years still there and 
he loved old John, John so much. And he goes to John and he said, John, you know, I fly a plane. You've never been up in an airplane, have you? He said, no, sir, never have. Never have. Don't, don't, don't want to go up in an airplane. Oh, come on, go up and see God's beauty. No, 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 I'm not going up there. He said, well, John, let me ask you a question. Aren't you a Christian? Oh, yes, sir. I love the Lord with all my heart. Well, John, don't you believe as a Christian when your time comes, your time comes? He said, oh, yes, sir. I know everybody has a time. And when my time comes, my time comes. Well, John, I don't get it. You're a Christian. You love the Lord. You know when your time comes, your time comes. Why won't you get up and fly with me? He said, you don't understand, boss. We may get up there and your time may come. <laughs> well, there's a sense in which, oh, I believe in the sovereignty of God, but no. God has a perfect plan. There's no premature death. And lastly, heaven is the perfect place to be. I'm afraid some of us have a wrong view of what heaven's all about. We tend to think that, okay, it can't be that good. It's going to be boring. It's going to be this constant worship service with songs I don't like, with people I don't know. And uh, no, it's not going to be that good. Let me tell you, folks, it's life on this earth. There will be a restored heaven and earth, and we are going to be able to live like we live now, yet without sin, without pain. As Revelation 21 teaches, he's going to wipe away every tear. It's not going to be like we think. It's so much better. I encourage you to read the book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. You'll find out every question you've probably ever had has been addressed there. Study about heaven. Get to know what it's like. Get to believe the truth. Now, the last point I said was only a minute or so, and it is. But it's important. Don't underestimate this importance. And that is, we will fear death if we face it alone. I don't care how much truth you know about heaven and the hereafter, death, it doesn't matter. If there's not a relationship, an intimacy with him, then folks, we should fear death. Because we'll always question, am I okay? The psalmist David made it so clear Wade mentioned it in his video. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. That's why. And if he's with you and you've established that relationship and you walk with him every day and you talk with him every day and you study his truth every day and you try to take sin seriously and to repent of it and you live a lifestyle like that over time, it is a process. Remember that word? Process. You get closer and closer and closer. Would Wade 20 years ago had that same calm? And let me tell you, that's not just, okay, this is for video. Let's know. I've been walking with Wade. I've seen and watched Wade. And he'd be the first to tell you there's been pain and sorrow and all kinds of things, but there's been a peace, a reality. Folks, it is possible, but it takes a process. And I want you to begin the process if you haven't. Accelerate the process if you have. And let's say, God... Get me ready. If you're outside of Christ, then you've got to come into a relationship with him. How? How does that work? You go to the cross and see that he died for you. What does that mean? It means that he takes your sin. When you come to grips with reality, you can't. And you see the cross and the work in such a way that you find yourself wanting him, wanting relationship with him. And then he says, I'll take your sin and I'll pay for it, and I'll give you my righteousness, and I will cover you fully so that you will always be loved perfectly by your Father. You come to Him 
run to him, rely on him, and you have relationship, you won't die alone. You'll die in his presence with him. I concluded, and I conclude this week the same way the first week. I put up a little picture for you, a little diagram. We come back to it. Here's the way it works. Event, in this case, it's death. It could be failure. It could be rejection. We all have our events of life. We're going to react to that. There's going to be an action down here at the bottom. It's going to happen. Are we going to fear death? Are we going to have peace about death? Though great sorrow? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with sadness. Oh, I'm sad to lose the connection with loved ones that will be on this earth while I'm in heaven. I won't be sad there, but I'm here now, and I'm going to be sad just thinking about that. Nothing wrong with that. But there's going to be an action, and that's going to be determined by the feelings that we have. We typically follow our feelings. Sometimes we have to resist it. It's not right to do so sometimes, but how much better to have feelings correct? Well, how does that come? Well, event leads to belief. If you have to look at your beliefs and say, what do I believe? That's why I've been teaching. Here's what we believe. But that translates into thinking, and that's why I say process. You can learn something today, but you got to think it tomorrow. And the next day and the next day. That's why you'll take your walks and think about dying. That's why you'll try to read about heaven. Learn what you can know about the afterlife. Know the truth about it. But let me tell you, you got to have an intimate relationship. You put those together and a process begins where now belief leads to thinking about the truth, which leads to the right feelings, which leads to the right actions. And I conclude this series saying it doesn't matter. You can plug any emotion that you're dealing with, any issue of struggle, and you take it and always go back to this little formula. But as you do, do not forget the reality of the power of God's Spirit. And so go back to understand that God has sealed you with His Holy Spirit, and now you don't live on your own ability. You live on His ability. Pelagius, some of you might know that name, 300 A.D., Monk who lived in Rome. And he pulled away from the truth of God about God's sovereign grace. And he began to teach that, oh, you know, the soul is actually very good. And it, it doesn't have this sin problem as we talk about original sin. And therefore, the soul is strong. And you can do what God says to do. And you can do it on your own. No. R.C. Sproul's made the comment. He said, we live... The church today is literally living a life of, of Pelagius. Just the same thinking today. And I believe it's true. We got to go back and say, no, it is not willpower. It is God's power. And you invite his power to overcome your fear. Know, though, it's a process. And pledge even now, as you're in this service, that you're going to start a process so that by God's grace, when you and I hear, if we do, cancer, heart problem, not long to live, or if God takes us in an instant, and we'll know we're ready and prepared. Let me tell you, I don't know that there could be anything that we would rather have right now than to know it's all good when the worst comes. If you can handle death, you'll handle every other problem. So let's go to the Lord, and let's ask Him to do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We're going to ask you now that you would do this in our lives. 
that you would work this grace into us, that we would believe in the power of your spirit. We wouldn't try to will our way into absence of fear, but we'd invite your power. We'd go to the cross and we would remember that even as the cross gave us salvation from the, uh, from the punishment of future uh, sin, of the sin of our future, uh, God, not just that, but that your cross was given to us so that we might be saved from the power of present sin. Grant that, we pray. May we put off the fear. May we walk in truth. We thank you in the great name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. I'm going to add one little quickie. I was talking to a staff member this week and said, you got to hear this story after last week. Talking about fear and so forth. Said my little daughter, six years old, was trying to learn to ride a bicycle for the first time. Taken off the training wheels and sat there paralyzed with fear. And regardless of what we said, she wouldn't go. She just wouldn't do it. And then next door neighbor, her best friend apparently, seven-year-old, had already learned to ride a bicycle without training wheels. She took over where the parents couldn't make it work. She simply said this to little Grace. She said, don't think about falling. Think about going. And with that, she took off. And let me tell you, don't think about falling. Don't think about your rejection. Don't think about your failures. Don't think about death and just the falling side. Think about going. Where are you going? Watch what God does. This is a great song we're going to sing. We're going to sing two closing songs back to back. The first one, it is well with my soul. If you don't know the story, Horatio Spafford 1700s, or 1870s, I'm sorry. Great fire of Chicago. Lost everything he had. He was about to head to a vacation. He said to his wife and four children, look, I got to stay here back home and take care of everything. You go on over to, to Europe and, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you later. And so they went on a vessel across the sea and ran into, had a collision with another vessel. The vessel went down. The wife and mother was spared. The four little girls died. He got word back from his wife when she got to shore and could communicate back two simple words, saved alone. When he was now taking his way over to meet her in England, when she was getting to the point where apparently the, the uh, captain of the ship saw him knowing his story and said, sir, you might want to know, as best we can tell, this is about the point right here where your little girls lost their life. With that, he went back to his cabin and he penned the words, it is well with my soul. It is possible to have it well with the soul in the worst of tragedy. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.